is holiness just an experience? And once I have the experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, do I just coast on? Is holiness also a life? What does a practical life of holiness entail? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning in to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 AM and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform in YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded and you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com, and uh, that's our central hub, and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, uh, YouTube, at God's Resistance. You can spell it G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S. T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. And you're going to find us in person now every uh, Wednesday, the Lord willing and weather permitting, every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. out on the public square. And then we meet in homes Sunday. Uh, so if you would like to, to, to come to the street meetings, uh, Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. out in the square, if you want to uh, worship with other believers, you can uh, contact us and you can do that through email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We are continuing our study on holiness using uh, Leslie Wilcox's book, Be Ye Holy, uh, he put again, uh, together a bunch of scripture verses uh, and then under certain headings. So we're using that as the outline, an extremely helpful book, extremely helpful resource to anybody uh, that wants to study the uh, topic and doctrine of holiness. We are concluding our series on holiness with holiness and ethics. And this may be broken up into two parts, um, but that's where we're starting here today. Holiness and ethics. So ethics is like, the proper behavior. This is the proper behavior that you should do. And that's essentially what we're saying is if you are going to live a holy life, what is the proper way to behave? How do I do this? What are the practical things I should or shouldn't be doing? That is the ethics of holiness. And that's what we are dealing with here. Um, is there, let me ask you this question. Is there one mode of conduct for those that are saved and another mode of conduct for those that are sanctified holy, H or W H O L L Y. That means entirely. Um, are are is there one way that people act when they're saved, and then an entirely different way that people act and live when they've been filled with the Spirit of God? Some people would think that that is the case. I've heard people say, "Well, I'm saved. I'm just not sanctified, and that's why I do such and such and such." That's not an excuse for us to live 
unholy? The answer to this question is no. It's the same conduct in both uh, people, uh, whether they're just have been saved and have not yet experienced that second crisis. And I say just saved. That doesn't mean that being saved is anything little. It's not. It's just that God has a whole picture of salvation and we need to move on to perfection, so to speak. Um, the entire standard of the Bible is a standard of holiness. You can look at the spine of the Bible here that's pictured if you're watching or any Bible you may have at home. It says, holy Bible. The, the entire standard is holiness. Is it okay when we're looking at a question about what about carnal conduct? Is it okay because uh, people are carnal and not yet sanctified that they can just act in a way carnal? Um, where Christians show carnal traits they are definitely upbraided for their shortcomings and urged onto holiness when we look in the scriptures. So it's not okay if somebody is a, you know, struggling with that carnal principle inside for us to act in a carnal manner. It's not okay. The entire standard of the Bible is that we should be holy and we should act holy. And then we find these scriptures once again upbraiding believers for their shortcomings and urging them on to holiness. We look at Hebrews 5, 12 through 13. <clears throat> he says to the Hebrews, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. This was the problem that was happening there uh, amongst the Hebrews. Now, I say there, it wasn't any specific location. This was a general epistle to Hebrews throughout wherever this epistle was sent. Uh, the problem with them was that they were being influenced by Judaizers. Those were people that said, Christ isn't enough. You also need to circumcise. You also need to be concerned with special holy days and, and certain ceremonial parts of the law. They, you still need to do that. And the rebuke here is you should be teachers by now in the things of Christ, but instead what's happening is you have to like be retaught the first principles of the oracles of God, because now you're, you're, you're leaving the meat of God's ways, which is found in the gospel. And you're returning back to the milk, which is found in the ceremonial law. He's saying you should be much farther along in your spiritual life, much more stable more skillful in the word of God and in the word of righteousness, but you're not, you're still a babe. You're still a baby. And people that are carnal in heart, um, that have not yet experienced the cleansing heart, uh, the cleansing baptism of the spirit of God, they, they, they struggle with a carnal principle within. And that carnal principle is essentially a toddler um, that is dressed in adult clothing. And what I mean by that is oftentimes it's the same uh, fit or temper tantrum that a toddler would have. It's the same, uh, everything revolves around me mentality and I'm upset when things don't go my way. That is, is the essence of carnality in a very vague way, in a very general way. But that is what he's saying to them. You need to move on. You can't stay here. This is not normal. So that's one of the ways of upbraiding to go on in the spiritual life. Very famous passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, I think settles this. I've heard people say, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. If you're a Christian, you're not carnal. Paul would uh, disagree with that statement. He says, and I, brethren, 
could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk. Here's that same expression being used again, and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men or walk just as the same as worldly people around you? So here we find he is addressing them as brethren. He calls them carnal and he calls them babes in Christ. This without dispute says that there is the possibility for a carnal Christian. Now, this doesn't mean a possibility for a Christian to just live a sinful life and say, well, I am a Christian. I'm just a sinning kind. He's talking about those that have a certain disposition and attitude, envying, strife, divisions. Are you not carnal? Don't you walk as other men? There's no difference between the person outside of the body of Christ and you. You act almost the same as they do, and that shouldn't be so. That's the corrective statement being made here as Paul is dealing with them. Grow up from your spiritual babyhood. Stop being carnal and be a Christian. Be a mature Christian. When I say a mature Christian, I don't mean that, well, this carnal thing will just be whipped out of us over the course of time. God wants to cleanse it out of our hearts. And then we mature in the positive graces of Jesus Christ. We're not maturing out of uh, you know, a carnal disposition and just learning how to do things better. That, there needs to be a death blow to the old man, according to the scriptures. However, these are the expressions that Paul uses. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 7.1. Notice here, these two places are in the Corinthian church. There was a lot of problems there. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, there appears to be some cleansing that we ourselves have to do. And we're, it's, we're not cleansing and, and cleaning our, our lives up and our heart up. The cleansing that's being here spoken about is also termed in the Old Testament uh, when God says, you sanctify yourselves. It means consecration. We are separating ourselves from the filthiness of flesh and the spirit. We are pushing those things aside and we're laying ourselves on the altar of God for him to do that inward spiritual cleansing that we ourselves can't do. We are just separating ourselves from it. So this leads us to believe that there are Christians that have not separated themselves from that and that are being addressed as having the need to do so. That's 2 Corinthians 7.1. I think we already did this part here. Yes, we already did. I doubled up there. So where are ethical standards of holiness enforced in the scripture? That's an important matter that we need to look into. First, we, we see that there is the talk about a Christian having carefulness and conduct. So these are the ethical standards being enforced. Uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 30 is a big place. So I'm going to start reading that here. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Here he says, henceforth. So that means now that you are a Christian, here's how you should walk. And he says, you shouldn't walk like the other Gentiles or the other nations walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, 
being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. A born-again Christian is not blind at heart. And if they are not blind at heart, they don't walk in the vanity of their mind. They don't have a darkened understanding. They are not alienated from the life of God through ignorance because now they see God has changed their lives and he has wiped away the, the mud, so to speak, from their spiritual eyes so they can see. He said, we're not supposed to be like that. And still speaking of the nations, he says, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Lasciviousness means uh, a lustful lifestyle or inciting lust in other people. He said, that's what the nations do. So Christians, we don't give ourselves over to a lustful lifestyle, nor do we live in such a way so as to incite lust in other people. And this can be seen in the way that we carry ourselves women in the way that you dress, even men in the way that you dress. You can dress in a way that's saying, I'm for sale. And he's saying Christians don't do that, not in lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. And that's what lust will do. Either sexual lust leading to an uncleanness or just the lust for material possessions and greed and whatever, or lust for material possessions leading to a greediness. He says, the world lives like that. You as a Christian don't do that. But ye have not so learned Christ, he says to the believers, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or the old life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us. And the old man is the entire package of, an, of, of a life that doesn't walk with God. So that, that goes without saying that that is our, our deeds. We put those off. But even the person who we were, we put that off, which includes, by the way, this carnal bent. That is to be put off as well. And that, would, that is what God takes care of when he sanctifies us wholly. And he says that old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed. So here's the positive part. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which is Christ, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So here is that enforcing in a carefulness of conduct. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're part of one body, Christ's body. Be ye angry and sin not. So there is a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger, anger, and he's making the difference. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So if you do become angry, quickly flee to a person and ask for forgiveness and flee to God and get it taken care of. But you don't have to live with unrighteous anger and you shouldn't. Let him that steal, steal no more, but rather let him labor, let him get a job, working with his hands, that thing which is good, the thing which is good, that he may have money, finances to give to him that needeth, that you instead might be a blessing instead of a curse, being a thief. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Okay, so we don't, we don't joke with filthy jokes. We don't curse, cuss, and swear. We don't use innuendos. We've put all that stuff behind us. And instead, he says, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace into the hearers. So talk in a way that builds people up, that ministers the grace of Jesus Christ to the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So a complete revamping of life so that we please God and we're not grieving the spirit. And he dealt with many particulars there. <clears throat> so that's 
a part where we can see holiness and its ethical standards enforced. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. That was mentioned just a moment ago as we were looking in Ephesians. Ignorance, and because of ignorance, we were living in lust. Now you're not ignorant, therefore don't live in lust. And by the way, you're obedient children, right? So we don't fashion ourselves according to that. We don't mold ourselves, right? It's like right now, you look into a Hollywood setting and people are dressing like they dress in Hollywood. They're fashioning themselves like those. And he's saying, don't do that. Um, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means in all of your conduct, in all manner of your living, be holy. Why? Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Let me look at 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, that means the earth and all and the heavens, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So the diligence isn't God's responsibility, it's yours and mine. And he's saying, be diligent to live above the world, to live holy, to be in peace without spot and blameless so that when he returns, you are not surprised. Uh, After we come back from the break, we are going to be talking about watchfulness against carelessness and sin. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So now talking about watchfulness and carelessness, uh, watchfulness against carelessness and sin, we find that in the scriptures, Luke 21, 34. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. So don't live a life where we're just like, eat, drink uh, today because tomorrow we're going to die. Who cares? Just have fun. Um, And then because of that drunkenness, lusts, and just if it feels good, do it lifestyle. He says, take heed, be watchful. Don't do that. Uh, Acts 20, 28. Take heed, listen, pay attention, therefore, unto yourselves. Watch over yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So this goes to any Christian, pay attention, take heed, and to a minister, watch over your flock. So here we find that watchfulness against carelessness and sin. Let's move on to the next one here. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So you be sober. You be vigilant. You be watchful against carelessness and sin. <clears throat> 1 John 2, 1. 
my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. By the way, that there it is. That is the Christian life. That is what God wants, that we live a life above sin and we're not sinning. And if, this is the unfortunate occurrence that it happens, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we watch, we live a careful life. And if it happens, just pray and get it taken care of quick. But it, it doesn't need to happen. It's not a necessity. Also, we need to, uh, we see maintain separation from the world uh, that the scripture speaks about. So let's move on to that. First, in the general attitude of the Christian towards, towards the world. John 17, 14, we're said that we are not of the world. We are crucified to the world. So we're not of the world, we're of another kingdom. And now that we're living still in this world, we're crucified to this world, we're dead to it. Romans 12, 2, not conformed to the world. So I'm not being molded into the world's uh, ambitions, their desires, what, what their drive is. I'm not conformed to that. Walk not as other Gentiles. We referred to that earlier. So I'm not living like the world. So this is a maintained separation. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, Titus 2, 11 through 12. So I, I am not, I'm not just trying to stay away from it. I am positively against it. I'm not going to go that way. I'm denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. I'm done with those. Friendship with the world is enmity against God, James 4, 4. So enmity means hostility. It means uh, shaking the rebel fist in God's face. He, he here tells us in James 4, 4, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. So dear listener, if you are a friend of the world, then you're an enemy of God. That's what the scriptures teach. But this is just showing us the scriptures talk about a general attitude towards the world by the Christian, not fashioning yourselves. We read that earlier. Love not the world, we're told. Unfortunately, there are those that do call themselves Christians that do love the world. And by the way that they act, by the way they look, by where they go, their life screams, I love the world. And God tells us that we can't have that in our heart and be a Christian. We have victory over the world. Praise God. Victory over the world, that helps us to understand that the world is something to fight against. If we're to have victory over the world, then there is a battle going on. So that helps us to realize that there is a militant maintenance of separation from the world in the Christian's life and heart. Because if we're not careful, the world and its values, they're on every side. You go into a store, you see suggestive pictures on the front of magazine covers, right? You see billboards that are going on. Uh, you need this. Treat yourself. You hear advertisements and things like that. Trying to have the world dominate us and, and control us and lead us into what is important and what isn't. Instead, we're told you have victory over the world. You're a child from another kingdom. You don't let the world control you. I have grace sufficient for you to live above it. And I want to. And if you don't want to live above the world, then I say, go back to the cross of Christ. Do some soul searching. Examine yourself. See whether you be in the faith because a real Christian doesn't love the world and has victory over it. So we talked about that general separation from the world. But now the separation from the world also extends to some specific details. And this is what people don't like. It's kind of the idea like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm my own person and don't judge me. You're just judgmental. Now, I've met people that are judgmental. I've met people that have a sour spirit. They go into details of holy living that the scripture brings out 
and they have an unlovely spirit and an unlovely attitude. Now, just because somebody speaks firmly and sternly to you about certain things doesn't mean that they have an unlovely spirit. That just means that they're speaking sternly, and that may happen. Parents, you understand that. Sometimes you speak sternly to your children because of repeated disobedience. Sometimes you speak softly. In each circumstance, you have to figure that out for yourself as to what's more appropriate. So just calling somebody who is very definite about what they're saying unloving is not a very accurate statement. However, people can do that in a way that is unloving, but that doesn't change the fact that the Bible does speak about some details. So separation from the world does extend to some details. Don't cross the red line, right? One of those details is our conversation, literally our speech. Ephesians 4.29 helps us to understand that. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. We talked about this before. I have heard so many Christians, unfortunately, there's some that I value, and these are ones I only know through some online things that I've followed. I value a lot of some things that they say. I don't agree with everything. I even value some of the things they do. But then I cringe when I hear the way they talk and what comes out of their mouth. And it it begs the question in my mind, have they really ever been saved? How can they talk like that? And some people, they seem to not have a conscience about it. Be careful, dear listener, using God's name in vain. Oh my God, oh my gosh, those kind of things. OMG, you texted out. Those are things that shouldn't be in a Christian's mouth. I'm saying it specifically right now, uh, trying to convey a point, but that shouldn't be what's inside of a Christian's mouth. Also, I've heard people that use um, replacements for swear words. That shouldn't be something that a Christian's doing either. We're not trying to swear and just see how we can get away with it. I've also heard people that swears words have come out of their mouths and I'm appalled to hear that. The scripture right here settles this once and forever. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. No lewd jokes, none of those things. That's behind us. We're a new creature. So our speech is very important in details. Also our thought life. What am I thinking? That's extremely important in the Christian life. We read in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. The implication being that whatever is opposite in this list, you should not think of. So our thought life is extremely important. Bring our thought life to Philippians 4.8 and put it under test. Another place in scripture says, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Our thought life is one of those details. Also, the way we dress, people don't like to hear this, but the way we dress speaks volumes about the condition of our heart. We read in 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So here it's speaking about women, and I may speak about men in a moment, but I just want to keep this uh, focused for what we're looking at. Ladies, we don't dress to show off parts of our body that should be covered. Don't dress with a low neckline where we're suggestively showing off our chest. 
to men and inciting lust. Don't dress in such a way to accentuate those parts of our body that would make men lust after us. A Christian does not do these things. This is not inside of the Christian's heart. And nor do we dress in such a way so as to draw a ton of attention to ourselves or costly clothes and all that. We, we are living an entirely different life because of what Jesus has done in our hearts. First uh, Peter 3, 3 through 5 says some of the same stuff that the outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. So the point being, we should be drawing attention to our spirit because that's what God values most, not to our outward person. That doesn't mean we dress sloppy and dress like a scarecrow. We, we dress nice, but we're dressing modestly. And men, though it doesn't speak this in the scripture because more problems end up being with the female gender in, in lust and whatnot than men, but men, you need to pay attention too. You have no business just buying all this expensive uh, apparel. We, we buy things that are nice. We buy things that are decent, but we don't need to blow a ton of money on it. We don't need to flaunt our pride by the way we dress. We don't need to wear shirts that are so tight. We have to show off our muscles and make ourselves look like we're more important than we are. We need to dress modestly just the same as ladies, except we're not wearing dresses. Uh, eating and drinking is one detail also. We read in Romans 14, 21, it's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything wherein thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. This is where we have to be careful as well. Some people uh, are even borderline gluttony, which the Bible speaks against. Now, I'm going to have to stop it here for this time and we'll pick it up next week. Uh, but um, may God bless you as you continue to walk with him. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal